Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be A-OK. everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, she was running the box office for Second City when one night an actress got sick. She knew the show, went on, and the next day she was hired. Welcome Nia Vardalos to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey everyone, my guest today is the Academy Award nominated and multi award winning actress and writer Nia Vardalos. She is the writer and star of My Big Fat Greek Wedding, a role and script that brought her international stardom and is one of the most successful independent films in the history of independent film. Since 2002, when the movie came out, she's gone on to write, produce, star, or direct, or all of the above in the films Connie and Carla, My Life in Ruins, Larry Crown, I Hate Valentine's Day, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2, among others. She has appeared in over 25 television shows, and she's hosted Saturday Night Live, you guys. She wrote a beautiful memoir chronicling her struggle to get pregnant and the ultimate adoption of her magnificent daughter called Instant Mom. She got her start through Second City, the famous Chicago comedy and improv troupe. She's married to an incredible actor, Ian Gomez, and together they produced and host The Great American Baking Show. Most recently, she adapted the book Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed for the stage and is starring in it at the Public Theater in New York City. She's an activist and humanitarian. Welcome, Nia, to the podcast. Hello. I am so glad you're here. Thank you. It's nice to be in New York. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I'm Canadian, and then I worked in in Chicago, and then I worked in Los Angeles. I live in Los Angeles currently, but it's really nice to be here. I tend to walk everywhere, um, unheard of in Los Angeles. In fact, I just went back. I took a break from the show to go back for the very important Halloween because sure. I have a daughter. Sure. And I got in my car, and I was like, "Oh, I drive." 
It was weird. <laughs> what do I? How do I? Yeah. I, well, that's the blinker, not the windshield yeah, wiper. <laughs> you really can get used to anything. I realized just in the nine weeks that I'd been in New York and then went back to L.A. and had to get used to that, I thought, wow, I am becoming more adaptable. I think I could make it in prison. Well, that is what I wanted to ask you. My yes. first question was going to be, Nia, could you make it in prison? Well, number one, I used to be a florist, and I am a middle child. So okay. I could teach a skill, Okay, and I do get along well with others. I think that's great. It would be wonderful for the inmates to be able to kind of learn the art of floral curation. Yes, yeah, it's threes and fives. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, it's all triangles. It is very hard for me to not want to begin everything I say to you with Dear Sugar. Dear Sugar, will you tell them what the show is? So first, it was a man named Steve Almond, a person named Cheryl Strayed, while she was waiting for notes on the book Wild, happened to write a fan letter to the anonymous Sugar and said, hey, I really like this site. It's so interesting. Steve Allman wrote her and said, hey, I met you. I know you. I met you at a literary conference. You are the one and only fan letter I've ever gotten. <laughs> and guess what? I don't think I can do this much longer. Would you like to take it over? By the way, there's no pay. And Cheryl Stray did. I asked her repeatedly through the years, why did she take on Sugar? Why take on this? She was a paid author. Why? She had published. Why? And she said, because I wanted to. The book fell into my hands when Tommy Kale gave it to me. We'd been friends since 2010. He directed me in 24-hour plays on Broadway. He had actually offered me many things, including a Broadway show, but my daughter was starting kindergarten in Los Angeles, um, so I couldn't do it. You, you make choices, and I regret so many things, including I have not done Broadway, except for benefits. I want to do it so badly. Sometimes it's hard to do because of the commitment, but I'm open still, by the way, anyone listening. but Broadway, um, if you're listening. Yeah, I'd like to do it. But I realize that I can get my theater itch scratched by just doing it. So right. I did Company a few years ago. I play Jenny, pot smoker. My husband just discovered Company. Yeah. You yeah. met Dominic the other night when we came to your show. Yeah, and he's so ugly, by the way. Sorry I know. about that. I know. Yeah, Poor the two <laughs> of you. The uh, I mean, I. It's why good I do radio. You, what, what you? It's. I'm happy you have talent because when the two of you supermodels approached me in the lobby. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right back at you, kid. It's funny. He wrote a thesis paper in college about Sondheim, but recently he's been in L.A. a lot doing a TV show, and so he has been listening to music to pass the hours in his trailer, yeah. and he discovered company. And every time he calls me now, he's like, where you going, Barcelona? Barcelona. I'm like, sweetie, of all the songs, the point is <laughs> yes. that you got to do that musical yeah. anywhere. I feel kind of like, well, I done, I did Sondheim. I can retire now. That's kind yes. of amazing. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience. Uh, mostly, Brent Carver was in it. Louise Peacher. Everyone had done Broadway, I think, except me. Yeah. It was directed by Gary Griffin. It was an amazing experience, and I wanted to see if I could harmonize. Still, and boy, within three days, I was like, they have made a huge mistake hiring me. Yeah. I, I was horrified, but I tend to take on things that are um, daunting. Can I ask you about this? Because from the time you were born until Tiny Beautiful Things, uh-huh. many things have happened. Yeah. But consistently, I feel like you have been very brave. How did Nia become like this brave risk taker? That's an an excellent question because I come from a very traditional Greek family, but the women are subversive in their power. 
we all know who's really running the family. And I wrote those lines into my Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck, and she can turn the head any way she wants, is because I realized very quickly that manipulation was the way to get things done okay. in a Greek household. Um, I started to become an actor very young. I, I knew I was going to be an actor, but I chose to do the more obvious and transparent path in that I don't want to manipulate anyone. I believe that males have, of course, the privilege in society where they think they can more than we can. So I just set out to have a male career. Sylvester Stallone wrote his own movie. Well, damn it, I'm going to too. I am a radical and all-embodying feminist in so many ways. I mentor women. I hire women. I write roles for women. The only way that I can do it is obviously because to try to manipulate it takes too much energy and I'm busy. And when you say you knew at a really young age, like Donna Murphy was here the other day and she's like, at three, apparently, I was asking for singing lessons. She was a very young person with a dream. Yes. So for you, I can't explain what it was, but I always knew I was going to be an actor. I knew very early that I was going to have to write my own material because I saw no one who looked like me mm -hmm. in on screen. No one. Um, my parents took us to musical theater, so I thought, that's it. I'm going to do something in this vein. I did ask for singing lessons. I did do theater. I did as much as I could and then went to a professional theater school. But the three times in my life that I have taken a major risk, literally, I, I, I you know, this thing about calling myself a fearless idiot is because I've just leapt and ask questions later. The first was, while I was at theater school, I went to see Second City. And I saw myself on stage. Mm -hmm. I saw women who looked like me, but they were playing a femme fatale. They were playing a Native American character. They were playing anything they wanted because they had no costumes. And they told the audience what they were, and they were that person. And they were writing their own material. So I took a job in the box office because I heard you could take the classes and learn how to write. After about three weeks of being the worst box office person in the history of the employment of Second City, because I would take people's tickets, the show would start, I would lock up the box office, take the phones off the hook. They were sold out till June. Yeah. And I would go into the theater and watch the show. Well, of course, after three weeks, I memorized the show. Well, on March 29th, an actor got sick in the show, and they rushed into the box office to find the understudy's phone number. She wasn't answering. I walked backstage, and I said, I am a member of Actors' Equity. A lie. I know your show. They had no choice but to put me on, and I knew the show, and I got hired the next day. That's the first time. The second time was when Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks came to my one-person show. I had written the screenplay for my Big Fat Greek Wedding, been dropped by my agent. She told me I wasn't pretty enough to be a leading lady and not fat enough to be a character actress, which is amazing. And I remember pausing, waiting for her to go, just kidding. Listen, I have an audition for you. Nothing. And she said, what are you anyway? And I said, I, uh, what? And she said, um, I mean, like, you're not white. And I said, I'm Greek. And she went, oh, see, if you were Hispanic, I could send you out for Hispanic roles. Why don't we change your last name? And I said, that is incredibly rude to the Hispanic community who is fighting for the three Hispanic roles sure. currently. No. I said, I don't think I can do that. And she dropped me. So I drove home thinking, if there are no Greek roles, as she kept saying, there's no Greek roles. Well, then I'll write one. And I went home and wrote my Big Fat Greek Wedding to try to get a role. That's the second time I took a huge chance. 
wrote it, didn't have an agent, jump on, jumped on stage to try to get an agent. Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks came to the show, and I just thought, in 90 minutes, I'm standing here backstage. In 90 minutes, I can either be really mad at myself or really proud of myself. Just walk out and do the show and meet them and say hi afterwards. And then they made the movie. That's two. The That's third two. is when I yeah. adopted my daughter. Yeah. Oh, my God. When you just take chances, you have to, you have to, you have to. I know, but there's um, there's the bumper sticker version of that. Mm-hmm. Like, just say yes, right? How wonderful that you had that and talent. It helps to have both. That's interesting. I think it is a combination of hard work and, okay, yes, ability. My dilemma is that I'm not a statuesque white Australian named Nicole Kidman. No one's handing me roles. So I have to keep writing for myself. If I'm going to play someone like Sugar, I have to create it. Is that still true? Oh, it's still true. Oh, yes. I still struggle to find work. It's so annoying. And maybe people think I want to write it. I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not going to whine about it. I'm just going to acknowledge it and therefore create. Because if you turn a blind eye to your employment prospects, then you're crazy. But if you acknowledge them and harness that, then you're going to create opportunities for yourself. It's not easy, obviously. Look, my first movie hit, that was crazy. But I I still, after that, had to keep writing. The story goes (laughs) that you went to church were active in the church community mm-hmm. because people do love seeing anything that they can see themselves in. Yeah. The Greek community did come and fill the seats in the theater of yes. your one-woman show. Yes. I understand that Rita Wilson is of Greek descent. Yes, she's Greek. But how did she come to the show? That's a great question. Um, so I had written the screenplay, had no representation, was in Los Angeles doing voiceover work, but didn't have a job. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take my voiceover money. I'm going to rent this theater. I'm going to jump on stage and do it like Julia Sweeney did. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that she dared to go quiet with her work and then hit you with a really good punchline. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting to me that it wasn't stand-up. It wasn't laugh, laugh, laugh. It was storytelling. So I thought, that's what I'm going to try to do. Yeah. I jumped on stage, rented a theater, and it started to sell out because I went to church and handed out flyers. Smart. The Greek came, and then they came back with their non-Greek neighbors, and the show extended. And then these non-Greek neighbors came back, and I started to see that people would say, this is my family. And I was surprised. I was like, thank you, sweet Japanese lady. Mm -hmm. This is interesting to me. So I chose to run an ad in the paper just once in the Los Angeles Times. It was really small, like the size of a tissue packet that you buy, maybe half of it. And it was $500. And I thought, well, I'll just take a chance. Push. Push your, you know, push your luck. Um, The day that I ran the ad, Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks had just come back from seeing quite a bit of (laughs) fleet. Can't speak. Well, this was a big moment. It would make sense that you can't speak. Um, So the day that I ran the ad. You're not doing a lot of voiceovers lately. Not anymore. (laughs) What what did I used to do? Budweiser. It um, It was guys out on a pier, and it was quiet. And then you'd hear... It's what guys do best. <laughs> like what? Drink beer and fish? <laughs> Mine was Red Bull gives you wings. 
Oh, my God, that's so great. But you're like, what, to jump off the top of a building because you're so wasted? Like, what is <laughs> I love the ad campaign for that. I love everyone sitting around because now I just saw it. They were like, it's probably started with Red Bull gets you high. And people are like, no, 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 guys, we can't do that. And that they, works for Europe. Yeah. <laughs> the American version. You could just see the ad campaign. For, no. Oh, do you have anything else? Red Bull. One billion dollars. Yes, exactly. Bet on that. So Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks had just come back from seeing theater in New York. And Rita said, I want to see some theater in Los Angeles. Open the paper. And there was the one day that I'd run my ad. I knew she was coming to the show because she called the number in the ad and it was my home phone number. <laughs> I used to answer the phone during the day using different voices. Hello. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want I bought some tickets for you, Governor. <laughs> so bad. So bad when my second city oh characters, my all my accents are Greek. It all led It all led you right here. Yeah. So she came to the show um, and sent Tom to the very next show, and um, he wrote me this beautiful letter. And if the story had ended there, I would have been happy. Good. Great. Um, and then one day Tom called me and said, I formed a company called Playtone with my partner Gary Getzman. I'm going to put you on the phone with him. We'd like to purchase your movie. <laughs> Okay. Like, I was like, is that crazy? Hello, Hello. Tom Hanks. <laughs> Governor. <laughs> you no worries. Let me share. <laughs> Do pinch. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Did it really happen that fast? No, it was really slow. It was four years. There's a line in Tiny Beautiful Things. One spring, I was down to my last 20 cents, and I put nearly everything I owned out on a lawn. We'd had a couple of those times where we didn't have money. And I thought, fine, I will go and apply for a florist job. Yeah. And then, boom, I'd get a voiceover job. I have no issue with the Joe job, as we call it, because, Josephine job, because if you're going to write life, you've got to play life. So just get out there. I mean, Stephen Colbert talks all the time about when he and Corral did Waiters Who Are Nauseated by Food. It's because he worked at a restaurant and would be nauseated the next day because he was hungover. I was in the cast with Stephen Colbert at Second City. I know what a hard worker he is. I don't know if this is my immigrant mentality, but I just believe in working hard. It doesn't always pay off. But what you'll learn on that trip is also a gift. So how did you meet your husband? Oh, he was at Second City in Chicago. He was an improviser. I was an improviser. Yeah. We've been improvising ever since. <laughs> wow. How'd you meet your husband? We were in a play. Something happened inside of me the minute I saw him. I couldn't speak. I'm a pretty fluid person verbally. I'm not shy. I'm so interested in people. And I couldn't form a sentence. I literally was like, why am I sweating? Is it hot in here? Like I was completely undone. I was just telling him that anytime I see something, any piece of theater, anything where, where someone starts singing or speaking about love, he is my person. And I feel so lucky. That is such a beautiful way to put it. You know, I was watching Hamilton. Like the, like, like you do. Again, like that is like, could I have a present where I get to unwrap something and out of this box flies a unicorn? That's what it felt like when I saw it. And I was watching her sing Burn. And I don't know how Lin-Manuel found the words other than perhaps he was perhaps cheated on? Or is his imagination so huge 
that type of imagination and he was able to capture what it feels like for people to have love. Because I find that the ultimate love song, that one. I know it's well, we all opposite. talk about like if you could only take one Hamilton song to a deserted island, right? Like I always do come back to Helpless because I just think it's such a perfect song. Yeah. But I can't really it would be asking me which child I love more. Like it would be impossible. Yeah. But to get back to Ian, that's where you guys met. Yeah, we met at Second City. Uh we moved to Los Angeles, boy, ninety five, I guess. Um You were seven. Exactly. You were- <laughs> Very young, very young kids. You know, in the Greek tradition. Yes, we're all dipped in olive oil. But, you know, we I hate the word struggle when you think about acting because coal miners struggle, single parents struggle. We get to do this. We chose it. We have the incredible good fortune of geographical birth in North America that we get to choose our profession. Some of us. And a lot of people do not. So I don't like to hear that because I've seen people sing in the subway that I just think, why why aren't you recording albums and I get to be going to the public and to do this piece? So I, I'm very, very, very grateful for what happened. I just look at the times in Los Angeles where we could not make rent as experience, not as hardship. So when this movie happens, and it is phenomenal, the reaction to mm-hmm. this story and something about my big fat Greek wedding, aside from it being a perfect romantic comedy. It came in a moment culturally where we all seemed to need that. I think it's timing and it's um, serendipity, which was the name of the movie that John was shooting that got pushed a couple of weeks, which is why we could get him, that he's a feminist, that Gary Getzman and Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson are feminists, that we never felt a gender situation on that set. There were some issues, of course, a lot. (laughs) I think about them and um, they're so uh, far outweighed by the good spirit that came toward me of just, you know, I'd written this movie and they supported me so much with what do you want to say, they would say to me. And, oh, man, I just kept expecting them to rip off their masks and drink my blood. Uh, like the rest of Hollywood, you know, since then. Um, it hasn't been easy. I went right into the studio system and got just smacked upside the head. That was hard. Uh, I went into the indie world. I was trying desperately to have a child. I disappeared for a while and wrote, happy to do that. And then I became a mom, and I decided, after my daughter started kindergarten, to write about her adoption. That was the most public I've ever gone And yet I've still held things back because even though it seems like I write constantly about my life, I'm a really private person, really private. There's stuff that I will never reveal because it's mine and it's my daughter's and that's her story. So she's 12 now. Uh She knows Instant Mom exists. Yeah. Has she read it? No, she has not read it. It's in her room um, for when she's ready. I made sure to put to keep it PG for the exact reason that I thought one day she will read this. She decided it was okay. I know it sounds strange, but she was five, and I asked her if it was okay to write the story. She loves it now because to date, the book has gotten approximately between 1,300 and 1,700 children placed in permanent homes 
and we donate all the proceeds to get kids adopted, to, to go to all these adoption groups. So she loves it because every day there will be a Facebook post, a tweet, or someone will approach us on the street and tell us that they've adopted a child because of the book. So it gives her a purpose and the right to leave it behind right. because it doesn't define her. We don't even say she is adopted. She was adopted. And that's in her past. And we honor her birth parents in a way that is respectful. Like people have said to her, who's your real mom? And she answers with the, how we've, what we've come up with. They're both my real mom because they're both real people. I don't know who her birth parents are, but I love them. Yeah. Every Mother's Day and Father's Day, just out into the ether, I just say thank you. Would you do it again? I'm open to it. I'm open. But now that I went back on camera, it's not easy. I mean, even today, I FaceTimed in for a parent-teacher conference. Then I had a notes call on something that I'm writing for Bravo. And then I came here. I have this, another piece of press, and then the show. It's a lot. And I think that's one child. So to be the best mom, I think, I mean, I'm open. They know that. So if the phone rings, We'll see. Yeah, you have two. Yeah. Yeah. I see it all the time. I look at the websites, and I shouldn't. Oh. <laughs> With each child, your heart grows bigger. I think that's really true. So be that as it may, congratulations on Thank an incredible you. family. It's pretty Thank awesome. You. It is really awesome, especially because adoption is one of those things where people who get to adopt will find each other at a party. It's like an, an eye flick. And we feel so lucky because it was uh, – some people choose adoption as the first option and hats off to them. I was too selfish to think of that route while I was going through the, what I went through. Uh, when I got into the club, my heart opened in a way that I didn't expect because I saw people who choose to build their family in this way. Yeah. And it just makes me realize, like, there should, there's no reason that all these children haven't been adopted worldwide. Statistics show that there are as many prospective parents. It's just red tape. Mm. It's really maddening. So I love, you know, from my book, I call our social workers super pretty angels. The look on their faces on our finalization day like, I was like, I said, do you go home every night and look in the mirror and go, yeah, I did that. I mean, I'm what? sure. I what hope so. Life. I hope so. I dedicated my book to them. The reason it is a New York Times bestseller is because of Katie Couric. She likes to say, how many kids did we get adopted from our book? Because when I told her about the story, we'd been friends since we got to go to the Olympics with NBC when they were in Greece. and Or way before that. She was a big champion of my Big Fat Greek Wedding. And she, when she knew the story of how I met my daughter through American foster care, I had 14 hours notice. She was almost three years old when I met her, et cetera, et cetera. She said, you got to write a book. And I was like, nope, I don't do that. And she said this line, but think of how many kids you could get adopted. Ah, Oh, Katie, you had to go and say that. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And she said, if you do it, I'll put you on my show. She had a talk show at the time. So the day the book came out, she put me on the show and that was it. Boom. New York Times bestseller. And I was like, Okay, Katie Kirk, you're a good friend. Well, it's pretty exciting when one can use their celebrity status for good. Yeah. For whatever reason, we live in a culture where people are more likely to listen. Sadly, not when it comes to politics. I mean, I feel useful that I get to do this. Like, why did my Big Fat Greek wedding happen to me? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, oh, maybe I'm supposed to be doing this to get kids adopted. Whether that's 
the fact or not, it makes sense of what happened, that I went through 13 in vitros, found my daughter after multiple attempts to adopt. Sure. Why, why, oh, why, is because I was supposed to go through some painful things to find my daughter so that I would write about it. That's what I think. I don't know why we're going through this current administration, to be honest. I am trying to find what is the gift in this strife? Why I think our audiences are relating to tiny, beautiful things is I believe we just need a good cry right now. People are coming to it. It's like a cathartic experience. We're scared. Hurricanes, shootings, birth control not covered, et cetera, et cetera. We're under attack, and it's a scary time. Right, the vulnerability. Exactly, and there are whole nations who live with this every day. It's humbling and eye-opening, and maybe it will give us all radical empathy toward the world's problems. Will Tiny Beautiful Things become a film? I don't know. You know, I'll be honest. A lot of offers have come our way in this last week. As we reach the end of our run, I needed to stop because I'm a mom and I have commitments to projects in Los Angeles. I would love to go on with it, though. I would love. It's really special. I mean, that book is extraordinary. Yeah. What do you think it is about the anonymity aspect of the Dear Sugar relationship, the writing a letter where you bear your soul and reveal the deepest, darkest truths about yourself to a complete stranger. I struggle constantly with wondering how brave I would be to write Sugar a letter like these real people did. These letters, every night I connect to the material because it occurs to me every moment. Has anyone come to you backstage and said, that's me? Yes. People have come to us and told, said, um, that's me. And Cheryl Strayed, who was very, very active in our workshop process and open, like a beautiful door that I could constantly walk through and ask her questions. I asked her a lot of, you know, what happened? And people came to her and said, I'm this person. I make all my guests Uh share an audition story because (laughs) we all have them. And I think they make us feel better to hear that even Nia (laughs) Vardalos. The one story that made me realize that, sure, fake it till you make it does apply to all of us. But at some point, you must get training. And this is what it is. I went to an audition for a new musical, and you know how we all lie. Do you juggle? Yes. Do you ride a horse? Yes. Do you do accents? Of course I do. Gafna? Well, I went in, and they said, do you read music? And I was like, mm-hmm. And they gave me a piece of music, and of course, I didn't realize it was a new musical. So cut to three months later, I went to the musical, and the song was called Him. And it went something like, him, the only one, he's him, something like that, Okay. When they handed it to me, I was like, oh, no, what do I do? So I just sang it to the tune of yesterday. Him, he's the only one. What? Go. All right. Thank you. I didn't get it. (laughs) And they were like, actually, maybe that's what it should be. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But good for you. Then I went and got training. Can you read music now? Now I can read music. I mean, I try still to this day to learn how to play guitar. Um, But yes, that's why I pushed myself to do company. Again, always like, what am I going to try now? Phone rings, door chimes. In comes company. How did you stay so grounded and generous after becoming what is truly 
I mean, the expression in overnight sensation. You're on Oprah. Yeah. You hosted Saturday Night Live. These are things that little boys and girls dream of. Well, it didn't happen to just me. I, I always create these ensemble pieces, even though I'm shoved into the forefront of, yes, I get to host Saturday Night Live, but there's a, an entire ensemble that we were all giddily holding hands and jumping up and down as as the film broke records or we found out we were going to be released in different countries. I got to go to Italy. I got to go to Spain and France, and that was really fun. But I always uh, surround myself with a lot of people. I have parties. I love to cook. I love to have people over. And I just think that is what keeps me happy. Same friends. Keep your friends and family the same. You know, I remember when I was walking down a red carpet and my friends from Winnipeg were calling me laughing. It was live. And they were laughing. They are like, suck it in. Push them out. And I was like, you're right. I will. You know, like for Winnipeg. For yeah. You just can't let it go to your head, I guess. I just want to say thank you. You've brought me tremendous joy in my life because of the work that you've created. And whoever can get to see tiny beautiful things while it's still there, bring tissues and bring your heart because it's a very, very special evening of theater and thank you for doing it. Boy, that's so nice. And And to anyone listening right now, there is one thing I wanted to address in that my mom would say, why not you, a lot. Like as in, they need someone to volunteer to clean up the school. Well, why not you? And also, I want to go to theater school. They're only going to accept 27 children from across Canada. And she would say, well, why not you? And so that is something that you have to say to yourself, I believe. Don't ask anyone to tell you what part you should play. You tell them, why not me? You have to say to yourself, and also write. Write your own material. Even if you say, I don't know how to write a screenplay, well, neither did I. Just sit down, think of how people talk, and if you want to play something, get some voiceover money and rent a theater. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and then also have Rita Wilson come. That helps. (laughs) Okay, thank you for being here. Thank you. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by ProMedia. Located in Times Square, ProMedia offers both production and post-production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. ProMedia Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.